Today is December 5th, 2019, and this is episode four. I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. The South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing explanations of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. And on this podcast, which we've been rolling with for a few months now, we discuss issues ranging from the soul to the state. And really our aim is to cultivate those virtues and principles that are important to us, living well uh, as faithful citizens in this, in this great land of ours, the United States and in South Dakota. Um, for the first time, I've taken the show on the road. I am recording today uh, in Washington, D.C. Our topic is religious freedom. And I'm, I'm sitting right now uh, with somebody I'm really excited to introduce. His name is Dr. Aaron uh, Matthew Weldon. He is a theologian uh, working for the USCCB. Welcome, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm just really excited to be here in D.C. I make this kind of annual trek to the 202, as I say, mm-hmm. uh, for a meeting of, of the Catholic conference directors across the nation. I always take the opportunity to check in with our delegation up on the Hill and encourage them in the good work they're doing. Um, in, in my couple years on the job, I haven't yet availed myself of the massive brain power that's in this building, all the expertise <laughs> that we have here. So I was just really grateful that, um, that you accepted my invitation, uh, to, to join me on this podcast, because I really want to talk about religious freedom. And I know that's like a particular, uh, love of yours and expertise of yours. And so if you would, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are, some of your background, background and training, and and what it uh, what is the work that you're doing right now? Sure. Uh, well, so my background is actually in um, theology, as you mentioned. I'm a theologian. Um, I I came to Washington D.C. not to work in politics, but to study at the Catholic University of America, and that's where I received my Ph.D. and then. While I was uh, studying for my uh, PhD, I started working as an intern uh, here at the Bishop's Conference. And over the years, as I got closer to wrapping up my dissertation, uh, we kind of gradually started to, you know, put down some roots here in the area. You know, all along we had thought we were going to move away once I finished, but you know, I, I, I ended up getting this job as I was wrapping up school. Now, part of my interest in, in coming to work here is that um, my, my area of interest in graduate school was the, was the doctrine of the church or ecclesiology, and so that does kind of connect with church-state issues. The idea of the freedom of the church, the mission of the, of the church is always uh, an interest of mine. And so this was just a great opportunity to get to, to stay here in D.C., a place we've come to, we've grown to love and to serve the church, something that's always been important to me, and to kind of to be that part of the team that provides the theological voice um, to, to the work we do. So just to say a little bit about kind of how things work, the division of labor here at the USCCB, uh, my job, my title is program specialist, but basically what that means is I'm doing most of our communications type work. In fact, I'm running a podcast called the First Freedom Podcast, 
Um, although normally I'm asking the questions, not answering them. So this is a little different for yeah, me. We're turning the tables. I'm yeah. a listener of the podcast, by the way. And uh, as I've told you before, I really appreciated the recent podcast you did with uh, Luke Goodrich of the Beckett Fund talking about his recent book on religious freedom. Uh, so would commend that to our listeners. So thank you for for that good work. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm often getting to to just talk to my friends cause, uh, about about these issues. And so... So I have enjoyed it, enjoyed doing it, but yeah, this is definitely a different experience to be answering the questions. Uh, so I'm doing most of the communications. A big part of my my job is also running our awareness campaigns, which the main one is Religious Freedom Week. And just tell us, uh, because I don't think it's been mentioned yet, the committee that you work for is the Religious yes, we're Freedom s- Committee. Yeah, or, yeah, I'm staff, the official title. Right, right. I'm staffed to the Committee for Religious Liberty. Uh, we are now a permanent committee. We started off as as the ad hoc committee for religious liberty, and we did that for six years. Then two years ago, the bishops made us a permanent committee. Uh, I've been with us for about four years doing this. Uh, so when I started off, part of my main job was, was helping to uh, promote and develop activities for the Fortnight for Freedom. When we became permanent, we changed that to Religious Freedom Week. Uh, but then putting together all of those materials, <clears throat> promoting all that stuff, um, that's really my main job. And then if our, when our bishops have statements or op-eds, I'm helping out, uh, providing some assistance to that. My, uh, then I work very closely with, with, um, with the attorneys here. So I'm, not, I'm always joking around on our podcast that you know I'm not the lawyer, so if I get, if I get things wrong on some of the policy, on some of the nuances, then... Um, you know that's that that's not my job so much as kind of lending the a theological voice uh, or a theological perspective to some of these issues, and, and then work also very closely with our Office of Government Relations, which is uh, our 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 team member. Her name is Lauren McCormick. Uh, she is basically our representative on Capitol Hill, and she she was a longtime Senate staffer before coming on to work with us. Well, I, I appreciate your joke too that you're not a lawyer. Um, that I, I've heard you kind of use that quip a few times on on your own podcast. Well, we're surrounded by lawyers uh, in and this town. It's, it's so funny because the, the it's like the principles and the virtues that just proceed from uh, theology and philosophy that are I think far more interesting and dare I say important because they don't change, right? And policy is like one of these things where it's like it gets voted on and it changes year to year, depends on who's in office, which maybe brings us to just like, what is this principle? What is Mm -hmm. religious liberty? Can you help us wrap our heads around what is it when we use that term? Sure. But before I do that, I do just want to say, though, what what I appreciate about lawyers, because many of my friends are lawyers, and the... uh, your ability to to pay attention to detail is something that I think sometimes can be lacking among some uh, among some people <laughs> in the humanities, and so I think that that, yeah. that is something that I admire, and and it's it's you know I'm not just joking around; I'm serious about that. That I appreciate the the attention you have to pay to language and in, in in analyzing the law. So. So yes, that's that's. Uh, I'm patting myself on the back right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, as listeners know, I'm a, I am a lawyer. Yeah. So. so yeah. So we all have our own things to to contribute. But yeah. So what is religious freedom? Um, as I, I did mention this point about the freedom of the church, and I want to. I like to start with that because I think it can easily be overlooked. 
that um, the the term libertas ecclesiae, the freedom of the church, has been a long time um, core principle of how the church understands her relationship with the state. And basically, the idea there is that the state cannot prevent the church from engaging her mission, specifically thinking about things like uh, the corporal works of mercy, preaching the gospel, catechizing the young, uh, and especially celebrating the sacraments. Uh, uh, Many of our current efforts here in this particular office often have to do with with trying to ensure that our institutions can continue to serve. Um, We're talking about Catholic hospitals, Catholic schools, um, these are institutions that are that are doing these sorts of things, and so ensuring that the that they continue to have the space to be able to serve, to be able to live out Catholic faith, um, is is crucial. But I do think usually when we're thinking of religious freedom, most people probably are thinking of it in terms of um, rights of individuals. And the Church does talk about that um, in Dignitatis Humanae, the Church's document from the Second Vatican Council. Um, it specifically says, the right to religious freedom has its foundations in the very dignity of the person, as this dignity is known through the revealed Word of God and by reason itself. Mm, I love that. You know, yeah. Yeah. That we can... Um, that even if you know, somebody hasn't necessarily acknowledged God's revelation that, that, that we have the ability through just our own natural reason mm-hmm. uh, to come to uh, an appreciation of the truth, however limited it might be, and that, that that binds us in some way, that we in conscience have to adhere to the truth and order our lives to it. Right, right. And that and that's key, that like this idea that, that, that we are oriented to seek the truth, that we're impelled by our nature to seek the truth, that's a key dimension of the human person, of human dignity um, that's at stake in religious liberty questions. Um, but another aspect of it, though, that I think is important to know is that we are, you know, that we're social beings, um, but a kind of a corollary to that is that we're political. And I think oftentimes we may, we tend to think that politics is all about competition or about trying to get have more power have one group have more power over another Talk, certainly talking heads on CNN and Fox News right right, like, right. Uh, there's it's that, that's all it's about kind of like making sure that your tribe has is the one that gets to control gets to call the shots um, but what I mean by saying we're political creatures is simply to say that as social beings we have to find a way to order our common life yeah. and and what we're trying to do, uh, the idea is that we should be trying to order a common life that's good for the for the community as a whole. Um, and so, you know, if faith is just a grasping for the truth, um, then by its nature, the act of faith um, it can't be coerced, mm. in the sense that you could be coerced to give a profession of faith, but if there is no internal assent to to the object of of that of faith, then you're simply saying something you don't believe. It's not really an act of faith, right? It's in a sense, it's a lie in a way, um, and it's being given under duress. And so, um, and Dignitas Humanae teaches this. It says uh, the act of faith is of its very nature a free act, uh, and then it goes on in that same passage. That's this is in number ten. 
is therefore completely in accord with the nature of faith that in matters religious, every manner of coercion on the part of men should be excluded. Um, no, so in this sense, and I think this is something we intuitively grasp, especially as Americans, this is in a way part of our heritage, that uh, religious liberty or religious freedom is a right to immunity from coercion in matters of faith. If you're just going to sum up like one of the underlying bits of it. Um, but I do, I think it's also important to, to, to add something to that, uh, or, or a couple things. First of all, typically when Catholic social teaching is talking about rights, it's paired with duties. And so a right to immunity from coercion in matters of, of religion in, implies a duty to seek the truth mm. or an obligation, a moral obligation. And so I only want to note that to say that, that um, you can say that religious freedom means that we are free to fulfill our obligations. I think sometimes yeah. people have this idea that, like, well, religious freedom could be a pretext to just do whatever you want. Yeah. The idea is not that it's something; it's to do what you want. It's to do what you you are required to do by by your conscience. Um, but then, and then one other thing, though, I think that's important to kind of bring it back to that part about the political stuff uh, is is that. Um, I want to say a little bit about the common good. And there is a long, uh, a, a great quote from Gaudium et Spes, number 74, which I will not read because it's somewhat long, but well, I urge... And I'm going to interrupt you just a second to kind of give a little context to this. So for, um, if, if, if these dignitatis humanae, Gaudium et Spes, like what are, what are these things? So dignitatis humanae was promulgated by Pope uh, St. Paul VI, mm -hmm. Uh, 1965. It's a declaration on religious freedom, a beautiful document, a relatively short document. I would encourage anybody who's interested to take a peek. And then Gaudium et Spes, give us just a, a, a couple sentence or a one sentence primer on what that is. Yeah, it's, it's the subtitle is uh, the pastoral constitution on, on the church in the modern world. And basically, it was it, it's kind of a long social document looking at contemporary issues and, and trying to give a response to those issues. And it is one of the major documents uh, to emerge from the, the Second Vatican Council. Mm -hmm. um, as the, the fathers, the church fathers just came together to really try and think through, like, um, what is the, the mission of the church in the world today? Uh, like how, do we, how do we make the proclamation anew to mm -hmm. modern man? So, sorry I appreciate yeah, it. No, no, I'm glad you did that because it reminds me that on 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 our own podcast and the First Freedom podcast, this is this was a major reason that um, I asked my friend here at the conference, Mary McCluskey, who works in the pro life office, to to co-host with me because I was like, <laughs> you know, I will I will just completely forget to like to say like what this acronym means or, or what this sort of thing is. So she, she's always the one to kind of put a check and, and make sure that we don't just sort of. <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes uh, like, I sometimes think that law school like makes you less able to talk to normal people. Um, yeah. Maybe it's the same for a PhD program, but anyhow, if you, yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Well, just a bit though on, on that point, not, like I said, I don't want to like read the whole quote, uh, but the basic idea is that the state should foster conditions in which its citizens can flourish, right? Um, and it's, that's just another way of saying that the state is responsible for promoting the common good. Um, and so, as we said earlier, if people are oriented to religious truth, 
then human flourishing would would mean that people are able to live in accordance with religious truth. Um, and so in that sense, the state should ensure that its citizens are able to pursue the truth about God and to respond to that truth. Um, and that's true not only for individuals but for groups, right? Um, now, one of the things I always want to point out, though, um, is that that I think is interesting because it's easy for us to look at that immunity from coercion piece, and and that that's normally what we're thinking when we think about this stuff. Is don't like, tell well, me what to yeah, do. Yeah, the state just leaves us alone. But one of the things that's interesting about dignitatis humanae, and just church teaching in general, is is um, this idea that the state shouldn't only permit, but actually is supposed to foster religion. Um, and and um, I mean, I can the quote from Dignitas Humanae itself. I won't do the whole thing, but it just says, or one part of it says, government ought indeed to take account of the religious life of the citizenry, and show it favor, since the function of the government is to make provision for the common welfare. And what I just said about if the state's supposed to promote the common good, and if religion is part of of who we are as as human beings that we're religious beings, um, then the state should be promoting the conditions in which we can flourish as religious beings. And so it's not it's a minimum immunity from coercion, but in a more positive sense, religious freedom means that those conditions are there for people to pursue religious truth. And I just think that it's important to to um, to note that part of it also because it can easily get left out. Well, and I just from my own experience as uh, um, a member of the National Guard, our unit has a, uh, a Catholic chaplain, and I'm just so grateful that um, you know our commander, who is you know an employee of the government, he makes provision for us to uh, even when we're on our drill weekends, makes provision for us to worship on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just sees that um, us pursuing uh, pursuing the Lord according to. Um, just the best that we're able to, in our, uh, according to our, each person's own conscience, like that makes us better citizens. Like that makes us better servants. Mm-hmm. It 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 fosters our ability to like um, participate in the cultivation of like a healthy flourishing of the life of all. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a, a a very discreet example that wouldn't apply to others, but maybe an example nonetheless. Well, and one other, th- one way that this came up in a concrete issue for us is is we were looking, um, this is about two years ago, an issue was dis- um, funding for disaster relief. Uh, there were, there was funding, federal funding available in communities that were, that were flooded by, um, I think, and the, the latest one that we looked at was Harvey but there were, you know, some of these different tropical storms and hurricanes. Um, this was an issue with Katrina. It was an issue a while back with Superstorm Sandy, which affected the East Coast. Um, you know, they these all of these community centers of different sorts, museums, zoos, in some cases, you know, there and um, you know com, uh, some uh, community gathering spaces were destroyed, right? And the, and churches also were included in that. And for a while, the federal government did not make disaster relief funding. They made it available to all those groups except for the churches. And the idea that some people were pushing is that, well, the the government, we have this, if we have a wall of separation of church and state, then the government's not supposed to be, 
giving funding to uh, religious communities. And, and in this case, I mean, in some ways you can kind of see what they're saying because you're not just talking about social services. The, f- the funding is going to rebuild their sanctuaries. I mean, it's going to, it is going to build their actual um, places of worship, usually not just, or yeah, not just, you know, like a, a soup kitchen or something like that. Um, but nevertheless, from our perspective, um, from a from a Catholic perspective, that those churches, and, and it wasn't just churches. I mean, in in the East Coast, a lot of them, it was synagogues that were affected the most. Um, these these are places. These are sent institutions that are vital to the common good, and so uh, and thankfully, that's a policy that was changed recently. Uh, but note that, that this actually is something that does come up in, in concrete ways. So. Yeah, So, and you mentioned this phrase that we hear come up from time to time, uh, the, this wall of separation. I even had a, just a colleague, a uh, Catholic Conference counterpart in another state, um, nowhere near South Dakota, but this person mentioned that when she goes to visit uh, state legislators and uh, you know, stops by their office, she right away kind of gets the, you know, the fangs are out and nope, uh, separation of church and state, like they don't even want to really hear from this person. But uh, so I think this, there's like this myth, this mythical wall that sometimes goes up in our, in our subconscious. Is that, is that true? I mean, is, is that a, like a just way to like, look at what this principle is? I mean, I think from the, from the Catholic perspective, no, I mean, there's certainly a distinction between between the what sometimes you would call like the temporal powers or the civil authorities and then the spiritual or the or the church certainly there's a distinction uh, there and and for good reasons but we're whole beings i mean that's yeah. i mean and, and so it it doesn't make sense to try to put up just some some impermeable boundary between the two and that's just not it's just not realistic that's not how we that's not really how we operate, I don't think. No, and and um, you know, I think there's a danger in that too to just want to exclude people of faith from public life. Like, um, it, it's it's not just like harmful to the life of that person who has rights as a citizen, mm-hmm. you know, to to voice um, to voice their thoughts and make their case, but it even like. Um, can be harmful to the life of our country insofar as like we just uh as catholics like we want to serve the common good this word that you brought up earlier we like we want to we want to help order things towards human flourishing so it's um and it's uh because i am a lawyer i'll like throw out there that that phrase isn't in the constitution right, anywhere right. like it's not actually in our law so um maybe this is a good point to just transition to some of the um, more contemporary issues that have come up that have highlighted the importance you you alluded to earlier, the the committee on religious liberty uh, for which you work, mm-hmm. it uh, was formed six years ago as an ad hoc committee. Um, maybe just give us a little bit of some of the the recent context for the uh, the work of your committee. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were start we started uh, a little longer than six years ago in in 2012. Um, the Ad Hoc Committee for Religious Liberty was formed, and definitely that was um, the impetus for that was the uh, the HHS contraceptive mandate 
um, somewhat well known, but the basic idea of it was as a as a part of, of when the Obama administration was implementing the Affordable Care Act, they included this this provision that that employers um, in the in their health care plans were had to provide uh, for contraceptives and and even abortifacients, and so certainly that was kind of the main impetus to to really take concerted action to form the committee. But it's we're, one of the things we've tried to emphasize recently is that we're the Religious Liberty Committee, not the HHS Mandate Committee. <laughs> so that's not the only thing that we, we deal with. And I do think that the bishops, uh, again, I wasn't here at the time, so I'm not privy to those conversations, but I do think the bishops saw that there were other issues on the horizon. Um, for example, most recently we had um, H.R. 5 was passed in the House of Representatives. It's often called the Equality Act. Um, and the, the idea there is that basically uh, the, the terms sexual orientation and gender identity um, would be added to as they, these would become protected categories in the Civil Rights Act. But what's especially troubling about the, the so-called Equality Act is that there aren't any religious exemptions and it is specifically exempts itself from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which basically all, all Religious Freedom Restoration Act does, at least from my perspective as a non-lawyer, is, is all it does is it gives religious people a chance to say the government's violating um, my faith. It doesn't even, even – making a RIFRA claim doesn't even guarantee you're going to win. Um, this – it's exempt from that. So basically, I mean, I don't like to – you know, I generally tend not to speak in apocalyptic terms, uh, but I think the fact is that if if um, the Equality Act were to ever be signed into law, it would effectively end Catholic adoption and foster care um, in this country. And so I think that, that the bishops saw issues like these on the horizon – um, these issues, especially related to the proliferation of sexual orientation, um, gender identity policies, um, you're getting you're talking about Catholic hospitals being required to do gender or sex reassignment surgeries, Catholic adoption agencies having to end their services because they place children with the mother and father. Um, these are some of the things that I think that they saw. And I. Um just for my listeners, I do want to do another episode in the future on some of these sensitive issues concerning human sexuality, just because I, I recognize that there's there can be a heightened emotion. that So I really do want to, at some point, do a deep dive into these. But it is important to note that, as you pointed out, it, there's been a shift, RIFRA, this Religious Freedom Restoration Act, very important um, law, uh, passed in 1993, nearly unanimous, went through the House of Representatives, uh, unanimously passed, like oh, with three dissenting votes in the Senate, which is like unheard of mm -hmm. today. Signed into law by President Bill Clinton, and now we have, um, you know, 25 years later, uh, uh, kind of a political uh, tone, if you will, that is just a bit more hostile and, and less deferential. To really, uh, as the title of your podcast uh, um, rightly says, what are our first freedoms? Mm -hmm. You know, the the very first. Um, 
not not just in terms of like Catholic thought, but even in the law, our first uh, amendment to the in the Bill of Rights. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes the, this the issue these sexual orientation, gender identity, it's presented as it's brushed aside as a culture war issue. But I just think it's important to say that what you're talking about is the use of the state of state power to force all people to assent to one group's position about the nature of the human person and the family. Um, I think that that's that and, and that's something that's just um, like it's not simply a matter of saying like we'll just leave us alone and let us kind of live our lives or or let us be treated equally. Um, you're saying that like in the case of like especially with the adoption and foster care, you know, the issue isn't that that Catholic adoption agencies are saying that they think that that same-sex couples, for example, are are like are are just like bad people or something. Is so much as that they're saying we think that what uh, the best situation for a child is with a mother and a father, and to say, well, no, you're not allowed to actually practice that anymore is really, I mean, that's it's a it's. Um, pretty egregious, I think. And so certainly this is one of the issues where we deal with. But I also do want to just note that um, we don't only deal with, even with that kind of with the so-called culture war stuff. There are, there are also smaller issues that don't often make big headlines that I don't know if you didn't have a committee for religious liberty, how, you know, what, how we would have a voice on some of these issues. There just wouldn't be the bandwidth here. So as an example, there was a, an issue with what we called the parking lot tax, um, which, you know, it gets into issues about tax law and stuff like that. So it's kind of boring. It's not like a big, sexy culture war kind of thing or whatever, but it, was, it simply was saying that, you know, even churches could have to pay taxes on benefits they provided for their employ, employees, including things like parking spaces. And that was something that we were kind of behind the scenes a little bit. I mean, we, we did do an action alert on it, but we were also, you know, lobbying to let people know this is really bad. And even if churches are able to get exemptions from it, most churches wouldn't have a staff to, to know how to navigate something like that. And so there are also even just little – in any time the church and the state could come into conflict with each other, that's kind of what we're here for. Last question. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask you to prophesy. <laughs> no, what's, no. The, what's the future hold for religious freedom in America? Um, I, don't, I mean, I, I do think it's important when this, this comes up sometimes in our committee meetings and things like that. I mean, it's important to keep things in perspective. Like, uh, we, because we also do try to raise awareness about the situation of Christians in places like China and Nigeria, the Middle East. Um, we don't face anything like that, and I don't see us facing anything like that. And so sometimes, like I said, I'm I'm kind of inclined not to be apocalyptic about things. When you say those, we're talking about violent. We're talking persecution. about like violent persecution, like death squad type stuff. Yeah, and, well, I yeah. I just don't see. I can't imagine something like that happen. I mean, I've seen yeah. survey data showing that most Americans want a culture of accommodation. Okay, so that that's what most people want. Um, at the same time, I think we're probably going to continue to see friction in these areas that have to do with things like birth, death, 
education, the family. I mean, you're talking about things that are central to people's lives, and in a pluralistic society, you just have a lot of disagreement about what the good is, what's true, what's right on those things. So I don't know. I mean, I I, I expect that there are those, those sorts of conflicts or to, or to be those kinds of conflicts will be expected. I will say, you know, I do worry probably where my biggest worry comes is that people disaffiliate from religion. They might not respect religion because if you don't have faith yourself, it may be difficult to respect the faith of others. And then because people are becoming so tribal, if you don't associate with people of faith or with faith-based institutions, you may not recognize the good that they do. Uh, And so... I don't know. I mean, I expect the kind of conflicts we've seen over the past five years or so, I expect at least for the the middle term, you know, five to ten years probably will will continue. Well, um, <laughs> I and just to, to wrap it up, I one of the things that that just really brings us home for me is to think about it in terms of like freedom for holiness, just how important it is to, to just bear forth uh, the joy of Jesus Christ into the public square with just hearts of magnanimity, uh, magnanimity mm-hmm. just like really um, seeking and pursuing the good of our fellow citizens. So Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was a pleasure to visit with you. All right, yeah, thanks for having me.